How are you guys doing? Good? You enjoying the, the summer weather that has finally arrived? Oh, <laughs> there's a few no's out there. You know, Kayla, she's funny. Like, the second it starts to get, finally starts to get to summer, she's like, all right, I can't wait for fall. That's not as bad as Eric. He's like, I can't wait for the dead of winter. It's like, seriously, let the rest of us enjoy this for a season. A little bit of sunshine. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I just want to draw your attention to a few things here, and, uh, and we'll get going. But um, in your program, hopefully you grabbed one of those this morning. There's this little blue slip. Every week this is in there. It's got things that are coming up. But I wanted to highlight um, the Man Camp One Day, which is August 17th. Uh, we have a little flyer out in the lobby for those of you who are interested. There's a lot of activities that are going to be crammed into one day. But we want to be efficient, right? We're men. We can't be having more than one day to have fun and enjoy being with each other. So we're going to cram it into one day. We're going to have men going all over the Pacific Northwest on, on trips and journeys and then come back together, fellowship together, uh, be challenged and encouraged and sing and pray together. Um, and we need it. We need those moments. And so uh, I do encourage you to be a part of it. I love to see a group from Bethel downtown be a part of that. Uh, so sign up for that. And then I just, I don't talk, uh, mention this all the time, but we have the ability to do water baptisms. And um, we believe it's important part of our, our faith journey as we recognize what Jesus has done for us. And so we celebrate that. And, and that's always available. If you're wondering when that happens, we can make that happen at any time. We have a little trough that we hang in the back. And for those of you who haven't heard me say this, if Jesus was born in a manger, we can baptize people in a trough, right? So <laughs> uh, we can fill that up and we can get it to a nice temperature for those of you who are sensitive to that. Um, but we love to do that, celebrate as a church family, um, that, that new life that we have in Jesus. So uh, I encourage you, if, you've, if you're interested in that, don't wait. We don't need to wait. I'll do it next week. Um, can't do it today because it does take some time, but we can fill that up. If you've got kids that are at that age where they're interested in doing that, that's a fun thing to get to celebrate together with the family. Um, so yeah, find that. Um, and then the last thing here is this little gray slip. And we've been doing the announcement video lately, so you haven't heard me talk about this, but I really, really appreciate those of you who fill this out. Even if it's just a little comment that says, little comment, I would take it. I would read that, and I would smile, and I would think, that person was listening to me talk. Um, and I wasn't just wasting my time. But we do really appreciate getting to hear what's going on in your life, how we can celebrate with you, ways we can pray with you. Um, and I read them every week, and, I, and I'm thinking about you guys. I'm praying, and so it gives us a chance to stay connected. And uh, anybody can take me up on this at any time. If you're interested in getting together at another time and grabbing coffee, um, Send me a little note. Says, Nate, let's get coffee. I'd love to do that. Um, so just throwing that out there. But um, I'm going to go ahead and invite or give you about 30 seconds to fill those out. I know that that's not enough time, but some of you are already, you've already gotten the hang of this and you're already filling it out. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds and I'll be right back. Okay, ready to go. You have made us glad.
Thank you for filling those out and humoring me. Um, man, we had another awesome summer week at Bethel. Had lots of stuff going on all throughout the community from community dinners on Tuesday night. They did a big block party out in Onalaska for the community dinner, and they had a ton of people show up for that. And for those of you who didn't know, we did a big work party. Bethel was a part of a huge work party out there at Carlisle Lake. So we got to kind of go celebrate with the community um, and just have a big party and and celebrate. So that was a really fun event that, that Ember got to go to. There she is. She's, if you don't know that, that's Ember there in the pink hoodie. That's my little girl. Anyway, uh, and then the, the youth camp was going on this week as well, and they had a great time. The weather was decent. They got to go out to the lake. Terry got to pull some kids around on tubes, um, and, and they had a, a great time serving all over the community. There was a group of them in here on what was that, Thursday? Cleaning. They cleaned. They cleaned everything that, that we could find for them to clean. And, and Catherine was going, okay, what else can they clean? We got to get, let's just clean everything. So they cleaned. They were across the street at the Hub City Mission, um, reorganizing the pantry. And it's fun to see these kids get, not only get a chance to get, a, to get away from the, the normal stresses of life for a week and get together and just to, to hang out, but to get to go and serve. And that's one of the values that, that Taylor has really pushed with these kids. Is, uh, and one of the really cool things about doing camp right here locally is they're all over the place. They were all over the community serving. And um, we were the beneficiaries of some of that and, and many others. So it's, it's really cool. And then they got to come together each night and worship and hear from their speaker and, and be challenged. And I know that God did some incredible things this week. And, and a number of you are part of that, um, whether you gave to scholarships or whether a number of our worship team were, were there every night this week or almost every night. And it's just cool to see the the church family kind of rally around our youth and support them. So thank you for those of you who do that. And if you didn't know, every week we've got, we've got kids all over this building. We've got kids everywhere. And, and more are on the way. There's so many babies that are coming. It feels like we're in the middle of a baby boom. Um, and we got two of them coming. But there's, uh, there's a lot of, of babies coming. And so that's going to be my shameless plug for those of you who need to jump in and serve the kids team, because several of the gals that are pregnant are on our kids team, and, and guess what? They're going to have to take a break. So we need some like backup reinforcement people, and maybe some nanas and grandmas say, hey, you know what? One Sunday a month, I'd love to go hang out with the kids. We have a great curriculum, a great team. It's, a, it's an easy place to jump in and serve and love kids. Uh, so I just want to to make that plea with you. And some of you are going, I've thought about that. I haven't done it yet. One other cool thing, and I know one of the challenges with that is when you serve over there, you don't get to be over here. You don't get to be a part of this part of the, the church body. But I, I want to encourage you to see it as a mission. And also, we are working on getting our podcast. <laughs> we actually have it. Now you can search us on iTunes. I know you guys have been waiting for that, right? Um, but you can search that on iTunes. You can just type in Bethel Downtown, and you can pull up. It's got a cool picture of the outside of our building, and you can listen to me talk. <clears throat> but for those of you who are like, that's your excuse. For those of you who that's your excuse for why you don't want to serve in kids, no more once we figure out how to get the recording to work every week. <laughs> Technology, right? Can I get an amen? amen. <sighs> Thank you. Uh, anyway. So, and then, uh, let's see, what else? Shehalis Fest happened yesterday. Uh, any amens to that? 
No, can anybody go out to Chehalis Fest? I mean, it just is a raging party. It was just awesome. We got to have the inflatables up and, and get to serve some kids and families. And uh, so that was our first of four kids zones throughout the summer. So keep your ears open for those opportunities to serve. Uh, we just want to be a part of our community. We want people to know that we're here. Uh, they, they can drive by our buildings and they can see them but we wanna be visible in the community. So it's a really cool way for us to get to do that. Even for people who they may never call on Jesus, they may never see him as their savior, they'll know that, that his body, the family of God is here and we wanna love him. So that happened as well. So I just wanna thank you for those of you who are giving and um, who are serving and finding a place to plug in. And if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to do it. Uh, be a part of the family, uh, whether it's through giving or through serving somewhere. Um, there's so many opportunities. Friday and Saturday, we had a food box giveaway, and it's a great place to jump in and um, pack food on Friday night or give it away on Saturday morning. And uh, it just, stuff is always happening. It's always happening. So find a place to plug in and serve. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite the ushers to receive this morning's size and giving, and then we'll jump into Hebrews chapter 11. Woo! We're getting closer to the end. All right, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and in our community. And just pray that you would continue to, to open doors for us um, and, and to just help us to be a blessing to this community in, in any way that we can, that we might see some people come to know who you are. And Father, I just thank you for um, all that you are, are using us to do. And just pray that you would encourage those who, who are serving and, and tired and just remind us of who you are, um, that it wouldn't be a way to try and earn anything, but it'd just be a, a genuine response to what you've done for us. And uh, in everything that we give, we give because of what you've done. So I just thank you for that. Help us to be good stewards, not to do things out of uh, religious obligation, but because we genuinely love you. So I thank you for that. And for those who've, who've caught a hold of that vision, would you continue to empower us and motivate us to do more? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in Hebrews now for... for <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I, when I first started thinking about being a pastor and getting to preach, I always wanted to do a sermon series that would be so long that people would wonder if it would ever end. No, well, the nice thing about preaching through a book of the Bible is each week as we go through it, you go, okay, we're getting a little bit closer, right? We have been in Hebrews for 20 weeks, <laughs> since the beginning of March. Um, this is part 21 of our Hebrews sermon series, and we finally made it to chapter 11. And for those of you who can count, 11, 12, 13, and we're done. But we're going to take a few weeks <laughs> to get through chapter 11 because there's a lot to unpack. And it feels weird to rush it. It feels weird to kind of just speed through it because there's so much that we can learn and so much to uh, uncover. We've been reading through this book together, and I hope that you've been taking it and reading it and digesting it. And I, I have people who are, who are emailing me when they're not able to come, be like, what passage are you doing this week? Um, and, and they just want to know. They want to know what's going on. And so we're in Hebrews chapter 11 today. We're going to be, this, for those of you who aren't familiar with the book of Hebrews, this is what we call the Hall of Faith. It's going to kick us off into this topic of faith. Over the past 20 weeks, we've been talking about 
the failure of religion to save us, to, to bring us close to God, that it doesn't work. Uh, and and the, the author of Hebrews is reminding the people, these are Jewish believers in Christ, so they come from a Jewish background but have been saved, and there's this temptation to drift back to the old way of life, the old rules, the old sacrifices, the old temple system, and the author is saying, don't do it. And then for th- we, we talked about Melchizedek. I mean, remember when we talked about Melchizedek? You missed it. Sorry. Uh, we've talked about the temple and the fact that it's a shadow. It's a copy. The sacrifices are a shadow, a copy of, of the real thing. That's Jesus. We talked about the fact that it's grace. It's grace. It's not something you can earn. It's not something that if you do the right sacrifices, you can get cleansed. It was only ever a temporary system intended to point us to Jesus. That ultimately, everybody who really has trusted in God, even in the Old Testament, they were looking to him. They were looking to God to be their savior. We, get this, we have this real struggle <laughs> to grasp that. And we didn't maybe, I don't know that any of us in here grew up in a Jewish background, but we all have some sort of religious background, something that we feel like if we could just do these things, we'll be good. But it doesn't work. It can never truly bring us that peace that we desire. And yet, it's still so difficult for us to grasp a hold of the concept of grace, to grasp a hold of the fact that God's done it. Jesus took care of it, and that there's literally nothing I can do to add to his work. There's no sacrifice that I can give that can, that can make it feel like we're, we're even. He just did it, and he just gave it to us. How many of you struggle with that? You know, I, I, I like to think that I grasp grace, but I don't. And you know how you can tell is when somebody does something incredible for you, they, they give you a, a big gift, or they, they come and they, they donate a day of work and do something that you could never have gotten done on your own. And they say, no, 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 no. You, you, you're not paying me. This is a gift, right? How many of you are really uncomfortable in that situation? Especially men. You're like, what? No, 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 no. That's not fair. I need to, I need to do something to, to, to make myself feel better about it, right? And so we find ourselves in that situation. And, we, and that's just like a tiny little, tiny little example. What Jesus has done for us. He gave us a gift. God not only created us and wired us and and loves us, but he came and he took care of the, the, the chasm between us. He took care of our sin, our rebellion, our brokenness. And he said, it's free. I didn't, I didn't want you to, to offer sacrifices. I want you to trust me. And we struggle with that. I think especially American Christians it's like a part of our, our uh, ethos as a, as a nation is this kind of mentality of I can pick myself up on my own bootstraps. And it even slips into our Christianity. And, and I'm a, I think a good work ethic is a very important thing. Don't get me wrong. But there kind of becomes this idea that I got to earn it. I got I to gotta make it right. I got I to gotta pick myself up and keep going and and it, as if it's something that I can do. And we have to be careful for that. We have this, this struggle to understand grace. But understanding grace means understanding that there's nothing I can do to deserve it. There's nothing. It's a gift. We respond to the gift. We don't earn it. We respond to the gift. We don't earn it. 
and, and there's a very, very subtle difference on the outside, right? Two people can be doing the exact same things, and one of them's trying to earn it, and one of them's doing it in response. Okay, so it's a heart issue. It's a struggle. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 say this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is, a, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, it sounds like he did pretty much everything, didn't he? He gave us the grace. He gave us the faith to trust the grace. And he prepared the works for us to walk in them. So what do we got to do? We got to walk, right? Sometimes that's a hard thing. <laughs> Just got to get up, say, Jesus, I'm trusting you today. Help me walk with you, right? Sermon over, the end. <laughs> if we could just get that, man, life would be so much easier that we are saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith. So over 20 weeks, we've been talking about grace, right? The temple system, the sacrificial system couldn't do it. Jesus did it. He doesn't want your bowl. <laughs> he wants you. And he did it. He paid it. We've been talking about that as much. The author has been beating that into our heads and, and to the, he wanted to communicate that to this group of people who were tempted to go back to the old Jewish system that it's always been faith. It's always been grace through faith in, in trusting God that has saved people. All the way back to the very beginning, we've discussed the implications of grace. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about faith. So here we are, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's interesting, I was, I was listening to an author try and describe the the work of faith in our lives. And, and they weren't writing it from a Christian perspective. And she tried to write a definition of what faith is. And I was just like, just borrow Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1. And it, her, her own words didn't do it nearly as well as Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith requires hope. Faith requires hope. At the heart of faith is hope. And at the heart of that hope it is, is a desire for things to get better. Right? No one has hope that things will stay the same. <laughs> right? That's not really hope. That's like, I just want a status quo. Where hope comes in is this, this desire for things to get better. If you hope for your marriage, you hope that it'll be better. You hope it'll get stronger. You hope that it'll last if you have hope for your kids, you hope that they'll continue to grow and develop, that they'll, I don't know of any other parents out here that, that hope your kids go on and achieve more than you. There's this hope that comes in, and it requires some sort of desire for something better. Putting your faith in Jesus means trusting God for something better in the future. That's where our hope comes from. If we don't have a desire for something better, then our faith is lacking power, Right? It's, it's important for us to grasp that. We talk, we've talked a lot about hope over the last few years. But without hope, there can be no faith. Nobody lives without hope for very long. 
Nobody lives without hope for very long. It's interesting. I've been studying the human personality and trying to understand myself better and everybody else. So if you come talk to me, I might or might not be trying to figure out what I think your personality is. But I try not to, I try not to judge everybody. But uh, as I've been looking at this, one thing I recognize in, in, in everybody's personality is that without hope, without hope, bad things happen. It's devastating. And, and some, of, some of the people who say they don't have faith, they still have to live life with some sort of hope. Have you noticed it? Sometimes you see the counterfeit hopes. They're all around us. I mean, I, I watch a little bit of TV. Every once in a while, I'll see one of those ads for like the Humane Society or something, and, they're, and they're, they're talking about these animals that need to be adopted. And I'm not opposed to that. Don't get me wrong. But it's amazing that, that somebody, that that's, they, they've said, this is how things get better as we take care of the animals. Well, there are people... <laughs> with an eternal soul somewhere in the, in the world that are in need, all around us. We look for ways to, to fill this need of hope. Where does it come from? We're going to talk about that. Where does that desire come from? But the loss of hope leads to bad things. And anybody in here has ever been in a place where they felt that, it's, it's incredibly dark. It's a dark place to be. And in this room, we have a, we have a wellspring of hope. And sometimes we feel disconnected from it, and that's why we need to be here. We need to sing. We need to sing songs like it is well with my soul when it doesn't feel well. <laughs> and it reminds us that our hope is, is so much bigger. See, I'm a stickler for what our hope really is. What is your hope? If your ultimate hope is found in anything other than eternal life with Jesus because of what he's done, what he's given us, then watch out. Watch out. If it's not founded on that, that he rose from the dead, that he's covered our sins and that we get to be with him forever, watch out. Now, there are a lot of other hopes that even come into the faith life. There are a lot of other hopes, but they don't touch that one. They can't. And if, if they do, then we can get into trouble. And I've met Christians who have trusted in Jesus, but their faith is teetering or is falling apart because of a secondary hope not being met in the way that they picture it. And it's, it's difficult, and it sneaks in. And, and when those secondary hopes are in secondary positions, they can actually build our faith. But when they climb into that top spot, watch out. Right? And, and there, are, there are people who preach those secondary hopes as if, as if they're just as guaranteed as eternal life with Jesus is. Right? And I've seen the devastation of that as, as people begin to hear that and they go, that sounds really good. I want to believe that. I want to believe that about the healing that I need in my body here on earth in this temporary <laughs> broken place. I want to believe that on the same level. And then that healing doesn't happen and that loved one passes away or they continue to get sick. In the moments that they need their faith to be an anchor for their soul, it crumbles because their hope, they put a secondary hope in the place of primary position. We trust in Jesus. When you read the New Testament, when you read the stories of the great people of faith as we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, their trust was in God alone. And any time that it started to falter, things didn't go well. And God was faithful. and He pulled them back. I don't want to get too much ahead of myself. 
But we're going to hear these stories over the, few, the next coming weeks. And we see this common thread of faith is that it trusts in God alone, not in any of his gifts, not in any secondary blessings, but that ultimate truth that we're going to be with him and that he wants to be with us. It's incredible. So we have to check our hope and realize where it comes from. You may even feel like God has given you a specific promise, something that you heard from Almighty God himself, but that still can't touch that other hope. I think of Abraham. He's like the primary example of that. God spoke to him like he's never spoken to me. Multiple times he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son, and, he, and you're going to be the father of, of more descendants than the stars in the sky, the sands in the sea, seashore. And Abraham's going, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. What happens to Abraham? He has a son, and he has this temptation to put that son above God. And ultimately, he's put to the test, and he goes, no, God, I trust you. <laughs> I trust in you and you alone. You are my provider. So we see that. We have to make sure that our hopes are in the right order. That way, when our faith is shaken, it stays firm. And I wish that I could promise you that none of us in this room will go through any hard times. But I can instead promise you that if your faith is in Jesus, you can withstand the hard times. He's with you. And he wants to be with you. And when I see people who walk through the most difficult situations and their faith never wavers, it screams of the goodness of God. It screams and the world doesn't understand. It's even uncomfortable sometimes for us as Christians. Look, how do you do that? I want you to be healed. How is it that you can walk through cancer and still trust? How is it that you can say goodbye to your family and still trust in Jesus? Because that's where our faith is. That's what our hope is. So we can't get distracted by that. We can't let other things get in the way of that. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's not seen, right? Oftentimes we say, I wish I could see it. You know what happens when you see it? It stops being faith. It instantly becomes evidence and not faith anymore. And I, I know across this room, I know it, there's evidence all over the place. In every single one of your lives, you see evidence. But that's something that's meant to strengthen our faith for the things that are not seen yet, right? We start looking back at the evidence going, God, you better do that again. We got it wrong. It's supposed to be evidence to remind us. He's there. He's good. Trust him. Hebrews 11, verse 2, it says this, For by it... That is faith. For by faith, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. Sometimes I think about this, like, what happened to people who died before Jesus came? What happened? And the the book of Hebrews has very eloquently put this, that Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, right? He covered sin once for all. So those who were trusting in God, who had faith in him, even though they didn't say the name Jesus because they hadn't heard it yet, they trusted Yeshua. They trusted the Messiah. They looked to God. Their faith was commended. On this side of history, we look back, right? We look back on Jesus' life. We have the New Testament and the eyewitness accounts 
and the story of the early church, and we have a history to look back on. It's Jesus. We still have to use faith, don't we? Now here we are 2,000 years later. We have to trust that what they wrote is true, that Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he did. So we need faith just like they did, but they had a different kind of faith. They didn't know Jesus, they just trusted God. They knew that God would provide. And even though they didn't know when or how God would fulfill his promise, they trusted God. Though our faiths might look a little differently, they're based on the same thing. I love the way Peter describes it. First Peter 1, verse 8 through 12, and I want to just read this. It says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's a great phrase. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you catch that? That's your, that's your anchor, salvation. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though we don't get to see Jesus in the flesh, we can believe in him. How many of you wish you could touch him like the disciples did when Jesus came back? Like Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. How many of you would have been doubting too? <laughs> but he's like, Jesus is like, hey, Thomas, come here. He said, blessed are you for you've seen but blessed are those who believe without seeing. Because guess what happens when you have to believe without seeing? Faith. Obtaining the outcome of, the, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the, pro, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The prophets, the Old Testament, those who had faith, they were longing, they were looking forward, they were searching, with, and it was what in them that was prompting them. It says it was the Spirit of Christ was in them, prompting them, telling them this is what it's going to be like, and they trusted. They trusted. They had faith. And for those who trusted in God to fulfill his promises, although they didn't see it or fully understand, they were looking and listening to the Spirit of Christ. And while we have not seen him in the flesh like Peter did, we love him and trust him. Faith means trusting even when we can't see. That's what faith is. And I've heard people say this, and when things go wrong or things are challenging, they'll say, man, my faith's really shaken right now. I'm like, this is when you actually know if you have faith. <laughs> it's in those moments. <laughs> it's like my faith is shaken because it's actually being tested. Right? We want, we want a faith that can withstand things that are unseen. And even when things are completely opposite of the way we want them to be, we still have faith. True faith in God has the same basis in the old and the new. <laughs> Did you guys catch that? It's the same basis. It's Jesus. They didn't know. They were inquiring through the Spirit of Christ. They wanted, they longed, they knew, they trusted God would do it. Once and for all, Jesus covered it. We, on this side of time, we look back, and we still have to trust that Jesus not only did what he said he did, 
but he's going to come back. We can trust that. We can trust that one day we'll be face to face with him. All right. Hebrews 11.3 says this, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You know, here's a Captain Obvious moment for you. There was no one around when the world was made. <laughs> right? Nobody was there. No human, excuse me, no human was there to witness this. Every belief system around the origin of the universe requires faith because it's unseen. And it had to be unseen. And people who say that Christians have faith, of course we have faith. So do the evolutionists. So do those that believe in the Big Bang. And that seems to be a little bit more faith than I'm comfortable with. <laughs> I mean, it might have been a Big Bang. God clapped his hands or something. I don't know, but... <laughs> It, it requires faith because no one was there. Do you know that Moses wrote the book of Genesis? He wasn't there. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Like, man, how does he know that? Right? He, he writes quite a bit of detail. Now, it's not the same kind of detail that you're going to see when you read the Gospels in the New Testament, these eyewitness accounts that are telling you Jesus' sermons and, and they're telling you the, the people that he touched and they're, and they're giving you details because they're eyewitnesses. Moses writes a different kind of account. But where did he get that information? Through the Spirit of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, inspired, inspired it. Now, if no human was there, how would we possibly find out about this? The only way is to find out from the person that was there, right? Or to completely guess. So if God is real, in order for us to know anything about him, he would have had to reveal himself. And he's done that. He's done it specifically through the word of God, but he's done it through creation itself. Through creation. When I ask you the question, where does hope come from? That's something that people who don't have a, a faith in a, in a creator, they have to struggle with this. Where does hope come from? Where does this longing come from for things to get better? It comes from the account in Genesis. God created and he said it was good. Man rebelled and sinned against God. And from that moment, that was the day that hope was birthed. Okay, it was a really, really sad day. You read the account in Genesis, it's incredibly sad, right? We wish we could go back and slap Adam and Eve. But the fact of the matter is all of us are guilty of that. Hey, don't do it, you guys. You're going to send us on this trajectory of pain and brokenness for millennia. <laughs> But on that day, also hope was birthed because God didn't just wipe them off the planet. They did ultimately die and there were consequences for sin, but grace abounded. And he said, I'm gonna send a rescuer. He said it to Eve. He said, your descendant, talking about the enemy, he will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. It's a promise. There's going to come a day when that enemy that tripped them up is going to be destroyed. And over and over again, through the, New Test or through the Old Testament, we see God revealing himself because how else can we know anything about him? Revealing and saying, I'm coming. I'm going to send a rescuer. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to fulfill my promises. Trust me. 
what happens? The people don't trust him. They do for a season and then they don't. And then he's like, I'm still faithful. I'm still going to rescue you. I'm still going to come and take care of this. The account in Genesis doesn't just tell us about seven days of creation. It explains to us why we think. (laughs) We're made in God's image. Why do we love? Why do we reason? Why do we hope? Because God made us. He made us. It explains that. It explains the goodness that we see around us on a day like today unless you want it to be cold, but it's good. Explains that, explains brokenness. Why do things not go the way that they should? Sin. And it explains our desire for something better that no human being can really live without. We need that desire for something better. It explains it. And it explains where our ultimate hope is and where it should be in Jesus. It's what this story tells us. The author of Hebrews brings it up, right? In the middle of this faith chapter. It says, we understand by faith that the universe was created by the word of God. As if to say, this is really important to faith. Do you know that you're not going to find very many people who believe in Jesus that don't believe that God created the world? Right? (laughs) It's kind of critical. Because if God didn't create the world, then Jesus doesn't matter. It goes hand in hand. And you're not going to find very many people who have faith in Jesus that who begin to question that God created the world are going to continue to be able to trust Jesus. It's just not going to work. They go hand in hand. This faith moment began the day that sin came into the world. Faith and hope were birthed as we look to him and we trust God. He didn't wipe us out. Adam and Eve are going, he didn't. Maybe there's still hope for us. Man, we broke, we broke God's heart, but maybe there's still hope for us. And that echo has echoed through existence. And it still resonates with our human hearts. It's so important for us to grasp that, to understand the relation of hope and faith and joy. It's why Christians should be, right, should be the most joyful people on the planet. It doesn't mean things are always going to go well. Just read the story. It doesn't go well. Not all the time. But we have hope. The hope is restoration. The hope is that God will come through and he will bring restoration. And that hope for restoration, apart from faith in God who created all things, is foolish. And I look around the world and I see people with all kinds of foolish hopes. Right? People hope in America. They hope in this or that. They hope in some politician. It's, it's, I'm not saying there's not some value in secondary hopes, but that cannot be where our hope truly, ri- truly rests. It has to be in Jesus. It's foolish to, sh- and it's, just as, it's equally as foolish that our, we strive to make restoration with God on our own. And that's what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, that God's terms... We can't can't come to God on our terms. We come to him on his terms. And his terms are grace through faith. Grace through faith. All right. And we're going to get into these stories of the faithful people of old, the commended by by God for their faith. And this is what it says in Hebrews 11.4. You with me? All right. 
By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We're going way back. Cain and Abel. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Any of you had that thought? It seems really arbitrary, but it's not. It seems like God's prejudice against fruit, and he just wanted meat. It's not that. It's not that Cain's sacrifice wasn't sufficient and that Abel's was, right? And I've heard people say, well, Abel's was the firstborn and Cain's was not the first fruit. I'm like, no. I think it has more to do with the fact that Abel had faith and Cain didn't, right? And they can both come, and I've been talking about this, they can both come and offer their gifts. And one's in faith, one's in response, and one is not. And God's not fooled. God's not fooled and Cain is upset. He's like, God, I gave you my sacrifice too. Why did you not accept mine? You can go back and you can read this story. It's really sad. Cain has this conversation with God. Again, this is Moses telling us a story. So the Holy Spirit felt it worth mentioning this interaction. Cain talks to God and God says, be careful, Cain. Be careful because sin is creeping at your door. Do well. Trust me. Don't try and do this on your own. And he's angry at his brother for this. And he murders him. He murders Abel. Abel trusted God. He trusted that God would be his provider. Right? So it makes sense. Like, if I was Cain and Abel's putting his trust in God, I'd be like, well, let's see if your God can save you. And he smashes him over the head or whatever. He's like, he didn't. God comes to Cain and says, what did you do? Where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Do you know what I read when I read that? I read him saying, God, where were you? He trusted you. Where were you? And we have a, an indication here that Abel's faith in God wasn't just for protection in this life. It says, though he died by faith, even though he died, Abel still lives. Cain couldn't touch him. Cain killed him, but he couldn't touch him because Abel had faith and he believed in God. He trusted. And that faith is commended. It's counted to him. It says he's righteous, not because of his offering. It was commended as righteousness, that he trusted in God. By faith, we will too. Right? By faith, we will too. Even though we will die, we will live. By faith. Hebrews 11.5 says this, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And how do you please God? Faith. Enoch. Not a name that gets mentioned very much. If you go back and you look at the genealogy found in Genesis chapter 5, three verses. Three verses talk about Enoch. How many of you love to read genealogies? Right? So fun, right? <laughs> and Methuselah begat so-and-so at age 70, and he went on living 969 years, and he begat sons and daughters. Woo! 
in the middle of this genealogy, this man named Enoch is mentioned. In three verses, it says something about him that the author, Moses, felt really important to share with us. He walked with God. It says it twice. It says it twice that he walked with God. This is the way it describes his last day on earth. Genesis 5:24. Enoch walked with God and he was not. <laughs> For God took him. He walked with God and he was not. <laughs> he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect, but he had faith. It was significant. That phrase, he walked with God, got me thinking about a verse that I just, just popped into my head in just this last week. It's Micah 6.8. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? To walk humbly with your God. You see, I can imagine Enoch walking with God. And you know what he wasn't saying? Hey, God. My sacrifices are pretty awesome, aren't they? Right? Hey, God, you must really like me, right, to walk with me. I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? I'm probably the most humble man on the earth. (laughs) No, I'm guessing that's not the way it went. He walked with God, and a privilege like that is one that requires humility. It requires humility. You cannot walk with God and find pride, right? You can't. To walk humbly, to know that relationship with God is not something that you could ever earn. See, on the outward appearance, I'm guessing Enoch looked like a pretty righteous dude. I'm just going to say that. I'm, I'm guessing he probably did. But you know what he didn't have? Religious pride. <laughs> he didn't because he walked with God. The gift of our faith should never produce in us any kind of arrogance or pride. Any kind. It shouldn't. We shouldn't be able to get from our faith pride. It's the same thing that Paul said in Ephesians, that verse we started out with. It's a gift so that no one can boast. There's nothing that makes me more sick than Christians boasting about their faith. As if it did something or they did something. We can boast in Jesus, (laughs) and we should, but not in our anything. (laughs) Being arrogant in the things of faith is an oxymoron. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. (laughs) I like the way that Ray Stedman described it. It was like he went for a walk with God, and when they finished their walk, God was like, hey, we're closer to my house. Let's just go there. (laughs) I thought that was great. So Enoch just disappeared. He never died. He had faith. Can you imagine being Enoch's wife? Any of you out there? Right? Like, this is where my mind goes. I'm sorry. When I read the scriptures, I'm just like, there's a lot that's not said there. Like, Kayla, if I went for a walk and didn't come home, you'd probably, you know, maybe that says something about my faith and my walk with God, right? <laughs> so something tells me that Enoch's family probably just knew. Like, dude, the day finally came. We knew he was just really close to God. I don't think that would happen if I just disappeared. <laughs> right? Some of you spouses in here are looking at your husband like, hey, um, I know you're walking with God and all, but can you just tell him to make sure that you can come home at night? 
right? There's two, there's two stories in the Old Testament of men who did not die. You got Enoch and Elijah. God just took them, right? In the New Testament, we don't see that happening. We don't because there's a different kind of mission in the New Testament. The faithful in the New Testament are going to be faithful to death because Jesus has called them. He's called them to, through their suffering, fill up what's lacking, to, to tell the world of a better hope. And we don't know. We don't know exactly why Enoch and Elijah didn't die. And I'm not going to speculate on that because <laughs> it doesn't say anything. Then you get three verses in Genesis, okay, on Enoch. We don't know what happened or what's God's plan with that, but it's still cool. <laughs> it's still cool. It's still worth mentioning and recognizing that God desires us to walk with him. He desires that for us. And even though we can't earn it and it shouldn't produce any kind of pride in us, God still, it says some crazy things here. If you really think about what it means, in verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's two words there that kind of stand out to me, and that is please him and reward. Right? We've been talking about grace and the fact that it's a free gift and that there's nothing that we can do to earn it or to deserve it. But here it says something, and it says something about Enoch, that he pleased God. That God, that God, that we can make God pleased. Like that we can bring pleasure to God. Isn't that incredible? And how do we do that, church? Thank you. Thank you. It's faith. It's not sacrifices. It's not payment. It's faith. You want to know how to please God? Have faith. Have faith. Trust him. It's like, oh, that sounds so easy. I feel like I need to earn it. Just believe. And you know what? It's tempting to to move back into an old motivation for trusting or for, for trying to have relationship with God. But he said, just have faith. We have to trust him. That our faith is the thing that pushes our relationship with God. Not our achievements. Now here's a temptation that we struggle with, and I'm, I'm going to be close to wrapping up here. Here's something that we struggle with, church, in America today. It's that we don't have that urgency for things to get better. Our culture is creating all kinds of ways for us to not feel it, right? I don't want to push anybody's buttons, but we all know this. More comforts, easier distractions, more things to turn off the, the ignition of our faith, the thing that says, walk with me, get closer to me, turns, it disengages, and we check out, right? Now, now, these things don't necessarily have to be a bad thing, but they can. I'm not, I don't even really want to mention specific examples, because I don't want to pick on anyone in here, <laughs> right? It just happens in our hearts. We get these things. It's like, I can't live without air conditioning. I melt, <laughs> right? And God's saying, hey, I could use that for faith. Right now, I'm starting to sweat, it's time to pray and get out of here. <laughs> He's saying, don't disengage that desire for things to get better spiritually by filling it up with temporal things. It's so tempting, you guys. It's so tempting. It's a million different things. None of us can, can walk through this culture and not 
get bombarded by it. And I'm not going to tell you to go be a hermit or to wear sackcloth and ashes and walk around, but watch your heart. (laughs) Watch your faith. Don't let it (laughs) rob you from that desire to walk with God, to be close to him, because that's not a bad thing, okay? We can't earn his favor and we can't earn his forgiveness or his grace, but we can intentionally say, God, I want to be close to you. And you know what? He wants to be close to you too. He does. He wants us in relationship with him. He didn't just save us so that we could live an earthly life. He saved us to be in relationship with him. And it pleases him, just like any parent in this room is pleased when their kid desires to be with them. There is nothing on the planet like it, in my experience, when I go in in the morning and Ember's standing there waiting to be with me, oh, right? She doesn't have to earn it. If she doesn't do that, I'm still going to love her. But it's incredible. And that's the way God is with us. He's taking care of this, balance, this, this disconnect of sin. And he's saying, do you want to be with me? God, I want to be with you. We can please him. We recognize that just because Jesus has done everything for us, it does not make our faith passive. Right? We're not the frozen chosen. <laughs> so I've heard somebody describe people who they think, oh, I'm saved and good. No, he's called us. He said, I love you. Now go and let other people know about it. I love you. Come and walk with me. Get closer to me. Draw near to me. And he's going to reward us. It's not the kind of reward that's like, oh, good job, you earned an extra gold star. You know what he's going to reward us with? Himself. This is evidence. When I see people whose lives are marked by this kind of faith, the evidence of the reward of that faith is just mind-blowing. It's like nothing can touch them. You don't think that that's a reward? That's That's God saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. And when people walk with God like that, it is inspiring and it is motivating. We can bring pleasure to God and he wants to reward those who through faith desire to walk with him. Do you want this kind of faith? Do you want this? Seriously, do you want this kind of faith? Do we really want this kind of faith? (laughs) To have a different kind of assurance, one that is deeper, more solid, untouchable, humble, and motivated. They go together. See, we have to believe Jesus. We have to remember what God has done in our lives and not focus on the unseen circumstances ahead of us. We remember what Jesus has done. That's why there aren't very many action commands in the New Testament, specific things. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. Go make disciples of all the nations. Right? That's very big and broad, right? It's not a specific thing. But there was another commandment that he made, and we do it every week. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. It's like he knew our faith was going to need this reminder every week, all the time. Bread and wine, things that they had all the time. Do this in remembrance of me. Every Sunday we take communion because we need the reminder and, and, and I don't want us to just take it for granted to come and grab a little cracker and a cup of juice and be like, sweet. Mm. It's not even very satisfying, right? <laughs> it's more than that. 
that's a reminder. Jesus did what he said he did. He is who he said he is. Our hope is assured. It's secured in him. It's meant to be a motivator. It's meant to be something that humbles us and motivates us every single week. It can't just humble us. It's got to motivate us to go forward out into the world. This morning as we close the gathering, we're going to come and we're going to receive communion. And I use that word very specifically. We're going to receive it, right? If you trust in Jesus, you're welcome to come and participate. You don't have to have it all together to do it. He's inviting you to just trust him. Come and be reminded that he wants to be with you so much that he gave his life, so much that he rose again. Do this in remembrance of me, that's what he said. So we're gonna do that this morning. As, a, as an assurance of our hope, we have this reminder that we can look back on Jesus and that becomes evidence for our future hope. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. Again, we, we don't get tired of thanking you. We don't get tired of praising you. Sometimes the words just feel insufficient. I think that's why you gave us music, honestly, because sometimes words are just insufficient. We can't thank you enough. We can't earn it enough sacrifices and yet you say you want to be near us it's incredible so this morning we come and we remember we remember what you've done for us and we remember the hope that that gives us it's not a, a foolish hope it's the only thing that can give us hope it's the only thing that can give us hope when jobs run out when family members get sick when relationships are strained to the breaking point there's nothing that can give us hope like what you've done for us and the promise that you're with us. So I pray this morning as we come and receive this little cracker, this little cup, that it wouldn't just be a symbol, but it would remind us. It would remind us truly of where our hope is. That grace that is ours through faith in you and you alone. To strengthen our faith this morning and motivate us. Don't just let it don't just let us drift through this life. You created us. You created us to have an impact in this community and you've lined up these works for us. Help us walk with you in them. So we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.